Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Welcome to today's episode of Stem Cells at Lunch. Uh, my name is uh, Shinyi. Usually everyone calls me Bebe, uh, and I'm a clinical PhD student here in Fiona's lab. Um, my project's related to the skin, and I'm doing single-cell uh, RNA-seq on um, a specific parts of the skin and also relating it to some skin diseases. And I'm very pleased to um, meet you today, Simone. Um, would you like to just introduce yourself quickly and what you do? Sure. Thank you very much for having me over. It's a pleasure to visit this uh, great centre. And, uh, I grew up in Spain, I did my PhD in, in medical physiology, in neuroscience, and then I did my postdoc in New York uh, in hematopoietic stem cell research. That history, that background explains uh, our interest in the interest between the nervous system and the hematopoietic system, mm -hmm. and how uh, these signals outside of, of the bone marrow regulate the behavior of the blood stem cells that reside in, inside the bones. So I came back to Spain, established my group in Madrid uh, in the Cardiovascular National Center for uh, Cardiovascular Research. Uh, I was working there for five years and then I moved to Cambridge to develop my research plan in, in the niche of, for hematopoietic stem cells and, and uh, how to, to target this niche for the treatment of malaparitic disorders. Great. Uh, do you have a clinical background as well? Just a PhD in medical physiology. I see, I see. So since uh, very early days, my research has been focused on clinically relevant questions. Yeah, and I, something I've always been really impressed by in the hemopoietic stem cell field is how closely the scientific research leads to translational effect in, in the clinic. And uh, we were just discussing before the interview started that we have a mutual connection, which is my mother, who also is a scientist in the same field and also based in Cambridge. Um, so what, what would you, so just give a bit more of an introduction and elaborate a little bit more on your current research and uh, what you think its potential impact may be on, on, on its field. Yes, so uh, blood stem cells, as you know, are very important to regenerate the, the blood system and they, they can produce all blood cells or immune cells in the body and particularly they're important to regenerate the hematopoietic system after transplantation. Yeah. So uh, among the stem cells, uh, they are probably the most uh, motile stem cells uh, known and uh, they have this remarkable capacity for to migrate inside the bones where they, where they can be maintained for the, their, their whole life and they can be mobilized and be harvested for transplantation, for life-saving transplantation procedures. So we've been studying this trafficking because it's, it's clinically relevant and ways to try to mobilize uh, better these stem cells, trying to make them home better back to the bone marrow after transplantation and, and regenerate the, the hematopoietic system uh, quickly after transplantation. So that's one um, important application that actually has been taken uh, to the clinic for a long time is, is, is a good example of therapy. Um, Sorry, is this in the context of like an autologous stem cell transplant? Yes, yeah. uh, mostly in, in autologous, but yeah. also uh, it could be done also with a, a core blood and still it's, it's a problem, the engraftment of these cells sure. on the number of the stem cells that are available. So yeah. uh, it's, it's still uh, there are important challenges to improve the, the efficiency of these transplantation Absolutely. Pr procedures. Absolutely. Yeah, and from my experience, so I, I did a, a four months working in a stem cell transplant unit um, at the Royal Marsden, 
And generally speaking, and these are people who had um, predominantly allografts, um, you know, post chemotherapy for, um, you know, AML or CML or something. And um, generally, people did engraft very well, and you know, we'd be doing sometimes I think it was twice daily bloods just to monitor all the counts creeping back up again. Um, but there was one patient I remember who did not engraft, and no one understood why it didn't happen. But it was a, a very, very tricky situation because then you've got someone who um, has no um, immune system for a prolonged period of time, so they're extremely at risk of infections. Um, so, you know, I think the plan was to try and find a cord blood donor very, very quickly to try and save his life. So, um, usually, just to give a bit of a, a clinical context, in if someone has a blood cancer and they need a, a, tra a, um, a transplant, their system is blasted with chemotherapy to wipe out all the nasty blood cells, and then um, a stem cell transplant of hemopoietic stem cells is provided, but they have to go into the bone marrow of the recipient in order for them to start working properly. So it's a really, really important clinical issue. Thank you for yeah. summarizing so yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and um, what, what, what things are you specifically working on at the moment in your, in your lab? So. Yes, so, so, so coming back to the, the number of stem cells available for transplantation, actually yeah. one finding uh, in the past was that the, the number of stem cells in circulation is not constant, but right. follows rhythms. Okay. Uh, the day-night cycles on the circadian rhythms that, that control uh, physiological processes also affect the migration of stem cells. So we found that basically you can harvest more, more stem cells if you, uh, if you harvest them during the resting period, which could have an impact in terms of uh, increasing the yield available for transplantation. And what's the resting period? Is that, do you it, mean? It would be later towards the night in the humans, oh, right. but it's inverted in, in mice. So obviously yeah. it's not very convenient for the hospitals to do the aphoresis uh, <laughs> later uh, in the yeah, evening, yeah. but uh, it, it's certainly the peak of, of mobilization peripheral blood. And the same could be argued about the homing capacity, which follows the, the inverted pattern. So uh, for those uh, sort of tricky situations, uh, perhaps you could just by timing these procedures, you could, you could have a, an impact. I see. But uh, more recently, it's also clear that the stem cells, uh, when they become uh, altered with mutations, they can generate cancers, blood cancers. But uh, these cancers were originally thought to be solely driven by these alterations in the, in the blood stem cells. But more recently, uh, people found that what happens uh, around the cell, uh, yeah. the mutant cell, is as important as the uh, intrinsic alterations in the cell. Mm. So the, this, uh, uh, this, there is an important role for the niche or the microenvironment where yeah. these uh, cells reside yeah. and how the microenvironment is regulated by different signals. Yeah. And that's our current uh, focus, trying to understand how we can manipulate these signals regulating the behavior of the blood stem cell, yeah. normal or mutant, yeah. to uh, direct their migration, but also to uh, refrain them for ex from excessive proliferation, excessive yeah. division yeah. during blood cancers, etc. It's a very recurrent theme in all aspects of cancer at the moment, is what is the role of the, it's like cell versus environment. And um, it's really interesting. So I'm quite fascinated by this concept of harvesting and donating at specific times. So the ideal from your research and from the literature is to harvest when someone's, I mean, even asleep, 
presumably. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then and then to donate, yeah. sort of. But even a, a few hours. So, for instance, people working in, in our uh, institute, when they they uh, collect uh, blood for research, yeah. they prefer samples harvested later in the afternoon because really? there are more stem cells, and you know they wow. can be very limiting for for some of our, our research projects. And what, so. what what's driving that difference? Yes. Like what what are the sort so of essentially the circadian rhythm. So these yeah. are the the rhythms that control physiological processes sure. sort of to sort of to coordinate uh, mm -hmm. uh, our activities with with uh, organ uh, functions. Yeah. Um, and we found that, that indeed the, this migration of blood stem cells yeah. follows these oscillations. Exactly why and yeah. and, and, uh, and for what reason? It's, we yeah. do have a mechanism in yeah. the mouse. We found that uh, it's essentially governed by the brain. Okay. So there is a central pacemaker in the brain yeah. which governs all these circadian oscillations in peripheral tissues. Sure. And we found that the, the light input was uh, received by the brain and then mm -hmm. transmitted to the bones through the nerve fibers, the sympathetic nerve fibers, wow. that through the neurotransmitters regulate in the attraction of stem cells in the marrow. So they regulate the expression of a key chemokine, CXCL12 or SDF1-alpha, which yeah. basically dictates whether yeah. the stem cells should reside in the marrow or, or leave. So you know people wear um, you know blue light blockers or have blue light exposure, and that's yes. a, obviously a big factor in your circadian rhythm. Um, you know, have people ever tried interventions like that? Do you ever see results? Uh, I, I'm not aware. In, in yeah. the humans, uh, these chronotherapy approaches have been um, notoriously difficult because there is not only a single clock that di dictates mm. the, you know, the cell sure. cellular behavior. Yeah. Uh, for many metabolic tissues, uh, liver, etc., there is an, an, an intrinsic uh, metabolic clock yeah. that follows also, is entrained or reset by uh, diet intake and, and so forth. Yeah. So there is, there is the interaction among multiple clocks that probably uh, dictates you know, the ultimate mm. proliferation, differentiation of the, of the stem cells in, in the tissues. Yeah. So it's not been an easy, an easy um, yeah. uh, task. But certainly because these clock genes, for instance, regulate uh, cell proliferation, sure. uh, it's, uh, there are you know, instances of, of um, for instance, nurses undergoing lots of night shifts and yeah. so forth yeah. and, and higher risk of breast cancer associated with disruption of these circadian rhythms. Yeah. So um, the, the same might be true for, the, for other stem cell uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is linking you know, retrospective epidemiological data to cutting-edge experimental science, but I think that's one of the big difficulties that we have in medicine is that sometimes you have observations, uh, even in a purely clinical level, that you know people who sleep badly and have lots of metabolic disruption are really quite prone to a lot of diseases, but to really disentangle all of that really, really messy data and try and find uh, a scientific mechanism can be so, so challenging. But it is, especially when it comes yeah. to this multi-system uh, physiology, yeah, interaction of multiple organs. Yeah. Yeah. But certainly there are things that are, that are conserved uh, between mice and humans. Sure. And uh, we've, we've seen similar patterns. Uh, yeah. Obviously, there is also the influence of hormones like melatonin, yeah. which dictates also um, in partly this, this migratory behavior. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's a very interesting and very, very complicated area. <laughs> it's the, yes. uh, the intersection of, you know, multi-system complex physiology yes. over uh, a human's lifetime, which 
you know, and humans are exposed to so many different environments, which is probably yes. the biggest difference to say a lab mouse. It's, yes. it's, it's the diversity within humans of what our experiences are over the lifetime, mm -hmm. and then trying to marry that with a scientific mechanism and something which you can have a actual intervention to make a clinical change. It's very, very challenging, but yes. a really, really important and interesting question, I think, to the public, because everyone's always interested in things like lifestyle um, and things like how to um, you know, reduce their risk of future cancers. So, exactly, early yeah. detection and prevention of disease. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. everyone wants to prevent disease. <laughs> you don't want to be needing treatment, ideally. Yes. So. Anyway, I think we have to wrap up now because okay. you need to give your talk. But thank you very much for you. coming today and uh, joining us on the podcast. Pleasure. Thank you.